You're listening to Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're here with Mike North. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's really great. I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked to have you. Um, this this uh, interview came about kind of randomly from just a tweet you shouted out at us saying, <laughs> hey, like, I would interview with you. And that that's, was super cool. I'm so glad that we were able to get this all, pull this all together. Yeah, I'm glad I could jump on. Cool. So uh, could you tell us a little about yourself? I know um, you're a principal engineer at Yahoo. Anything else you'd like to tell the, the listeners? Yeah, so um, I, I was a part of the member at Yahoo and sort of trying to displace YUI as the, um, the framework of choice as we move towards single-page apps. So I deal with um, our, our ad platform, which is called Yahoo Ad Manager Plus, and we have uh, 14 other Ember apps in production that all share a bunch of add-ons. We sort of have our own little ecosystem. Oh, wow. That is awesome. I did not realize that it was quite so pervasive. I thought that this was still kind of like there was the, the ad section and then maybe like a couple of main apps, but 14 apps, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's really thriving uh, at Yahoo. We have 70 Ember developers now. We recently hired um, Steph Penner, so he's on staff kind of making sure all of the build tools are running smoothly and helping us with the trickier problems. Yeah, cool. I saw his uh, Marvin came with him across. I saw the, the tweet <laughs> yeah. storm of him and Marvin. We bird sat Marvin. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so were you using uh, Ember before, like Ember CLI and everything was out? Or like, are you uh, in the process of upgrading a lot of these apps now that you have Stephen Pinner right there, like to kind of pick his brain? So we've been uh, closely working with the core team since we first started using Ember, which was back back in the app kit days. Um, a lot of the apps are upgraded to Ember CLI. We have a few that are on the current release. Um, one of my goals in, in the next couple of months is to get everything on um, release or, or even a few on Canary or at least capable of working on Canary so that we can um, help the community by detecting some of these more complex use cases breaking. You could be the Canary. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> cool. Uh, so uh, I, I know uh, you're a big proponent of web components and maybe even sharing things across other um, ecosystems that aren't Ember necessarily. So how do you envision uh, web components? Uh, in our, like, how are you incorporating web components into Yahoo's um, platform? Right. So um, so like I said, with, with 15 Ember apps, they're often addressing some of the same problems. They all, you know, have graphs and tables and select components and things that are sort of lacking uh, that, that a lot of large data-driven applications need. So uh, we certainly share Ember components amongst um, the, these 15 apps. We're, we're also starting to move towards trying to share across frameworks. And, and that story is not as clear and it's certainly not as clean. Uh, but there, there are some apps written in React that want to borrow from Ember. And we're trying to come up with a good pattern for using that. Very cool. Very cool. So what are the, what are some of the hurdles you're running into? I know uh, there's a lot of kind of unknowns in in uh, the web component world, like the like Shadow DOM and things. Yeah, encapsulation is a big concern. So our our theming is built on top of Bootstrap, and therefore a lot of the components we build, or at least a lot of the things we built initially, were very Bootstrap oriented. Uh, and and then of course that's sort of an extra opinion that's injected into the way this thing is structured and the way the style is structured. So when it comes to making it more generic and yet still work with this theme, that that's been a big struggle for us from from the component standpoint. Um, right, because you could have two components with two different uh, versions of Bootstrap or something. 
Yes, and especially when we start thinking about open sourcing components, uh, debootstrapifying is is really painful. You know, you yeah. sort of end yeah. up having a couple different layers of shims that you can opt into based on what you what you need. Uh, we we the add-on story getting better with with Ember CLI becoming you know the new way of doing things that that uh, addressed a lot of a lot of the pain points involving distributing things across apps. We had our own internal sort of equivalent, um, much less sophisticated, much less, you know, a, a lot more rough around the edges. Um, so we're, we're glad for standardization there and add-ons. Yeah, the add-on the add-on story seemed to be like the biggest single win in Ember CLI as a whole, in, in my opinion. Just being able to share and do all that sort of thing, it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that you all would, ha I know, uh, I want to say it was Heroku also has had kind of built their own system. So there's a lot of ad hoc solutions in the space. So it's been kind of nice to see that unify. Yep. The, did you guys influence the add-on story itself? So. Sure. Yeah, we, we've influenced the add-on story um, sort of at its advent, right? So we had we um, probably were not the only ones to come up with the idea, but we, we were using this idea of having two separate trees, one that's brought into the app, one that exists, you know, in its own namespace. And um, so we see that coming through with Ember add-ons. And since then, um, I think a lot of, there's been a lot of emphasis on trying to test across multiple versions of the framework. So we have some apps that are on versions as old as 1.8.1, some that are you know trying to deploy with 2.0 pretty soon. And so when you're trying to share code, you know that's uh, having good a good testing story around that with all of the deprecations and you know there aren't enough polyfills to cover that whole range. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, what features are you most excited about ES6, and how do you think that is kind of influencing how you write uh, Ember apps? So uh, I I like to focus on the testing story, right? So when you're when you're dealing with all of these apps and you're sort of I'm in a position where I triage a lot of the more complicated issues, the more friction you can remove from the test writing process and from debugging tests, uh, the more release confidence you're going to have. Because engineers don't want to make mistakes and they don't want to leave bugs and they want to have great tests. The easier you can make that, the better it's going to be. So async await is, is a huge win for testing. When you think of all of the async test helpers like visit and click and fill in and you know some others that are shipping with add-ons now, uh, being able to write that code as if it's sync and having breakpoints that work, that that is a huge win in terms of making things readable and making it more approachable to really kind of um, build the use case that you're looking to test accurately. With regard to like making tests approachable, uh, like the generators and stuff, do you find yourself using those uh, to, to build up the default harnesses? And does that help your engineers kind of onboard a little bit? Uh, it's so they they it's the first step right I mean it's not useless and uh, over time the the default blueprint for these tests has become you know better um, I think that what the biggest wins for us have been um, really helping everyone understand you know async test helpers and then uh, switching away from I think HTTP respond which was very brittle and sensitive to like ordering to pretender which has been a huge win for us. Um, also, this idea of page objects, and, yeah. and I talked about that at Wikigood Ember. Yes. Um, the the idea of building an adapter that 
completely contains the complexity of interacting with the DOM, that that's a huge win because it makes it more encouraging to write multiple test cases. Once you've sunk the work into building that, a page object that works, churning out new test cases is really trivial. And that 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 uh, obscures a lot of the the DOM references that you kind of have to have. Like that's like the main win that you just kind of get away from having to know too much about the DOM. Uh, but I did say I think you were using what data auto ID as the way that you kind of like hook in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that still kind of like how you're doing? It? That's what you mentioned at Wicked Good. Um, is that still kind of like the 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 way the best way to kind of work with these page objects? So the, the concept of auto ID is, is still a good one. And, and by the concept, I mean, have, have something that allows you to write a good, you know, uh, selector in your test that won't get changed as behavior changes, as style changes, something that's really dedicated to, you know, a, a handle for a test to find a button or an input. Um, that idea is good. Uh, one, one downside of the way we implemented it um, was using a bunch of private APIs. It was sort of tapping into the, the binding itself. I know a lot of validation uh, tooling does the same thing, just so that you don't have to be very explicit and saying, you know, this is the field for first name and its binding is name and the label <laughs> is name. And, yeah. you know, it starts to get verbose. Um, in retrospect, that might have been a better choice. Uh, you live, you learn. And, you know, that, that's been sort of a painful point for um, for a lot of complex apps, including ours, you know, the the idea of uh, having the discipline to kind of contribute back to the framework and uh, not take the easy way out, which is to use these private APIs to kind of get the job done and <laughs> the test passes and everything's fine and let's just move on. Yeah, yeah. skid skid, container skid skid dot fine, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I want to write like a script that checks for the presence of underscores and pull requests. Yeah, and, and if just there's shut it down, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if there's two underscores, you're just out. Like the you're program done. just segfaults immediately. Yes, you're removed from team. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned testing is very important to you. Uh, I mean, do you have a, a big concern about uh, performance and things like that? Do you know, um, have you seen any uh, benefits with uh, with Glimmer? Yeah, Glimmer's. Uh, a game changer for us. And that's because we, at least for the ad platform, it's still a very tabular app. Um, we're we're not able to, as of this date, we're not deploying 113 yet to production. Um, but but in the branch that, that we're working on and getting upgraded to 113, um, massive improvements in the, smooth, the smoothness of uh, infinite scrolling, um, transitions are, are more smooth, um, we're able able to use uh, SVG easily. That's not a Glimmer thing, but you know it's it's certainly uh, an HTML bar thing. So, you know, a lot of big wins from from the performance standpoint. Um, and I think that that performance is a tough thing to uh, wrap your head around when dealing with UI or JavaScript UI um, because there's there's sort of the performance rumors, right? Like never write a nested each, right? Because that's just going to re-render all the time. Um, but then, you know, you got to focus on the big wins. And the big wins really come with keeping pace with the framework. That's the way that you can keep your performance high. That's, that's sort of the best um, improvement you can get per calorie. Just making sure you stick with public APIs, making sure you're, you know, ready to follow the happy path. Um, because there's really no competing with something like Glimmer. There's you can't 
you know, there are not enough little pieces of low-hanging fruit to, to make up for something like that. I really, really like the term, like, performance, like, measured by calorie. That's so good. Like, yes. Yep, that's what it's all about. You can chase it forever, but you got to focus on what matters. So are you looking ahead uh, with these changes and uh, kind of planning for some of the things that are coming down the line, like the um, one-way binding and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so especially with new code that's written, you know, we're sort of training people to abide by the Ember 2.0 idioms, even though their app might still be stuck on, you know, 1.9 or something. And uh, so really de-emphasizing controllers with the exception of query params, we still need them for that. Um, you know, passing things in explicitly to components and not, not relying on views so much and sort of having that controller state to work with. So I think those are, those are, those are the kinds of things you can do to, cut, to um, you know, stop accruing tech debt as you try to kind of fight back and get back on the happy path. Since routable components haven't landed, do you see yourself uh, pushing like that? Uh, I think the standard way now is to move uh, your all of your controller template into like a component that has the same name and just shunt it down, kind of temporarily kludging the routable component story. I think that's that's one way of doing it. Um, but there there's still the idea of you know having this underlying controller context. In like if you're if you're shifting from views and controllers to components, um, the big change is explicitly passing information into whatever needs it, and there's no shim that's going to handle that for you. So I think like really having having a better sense of you know this is the role of this component, this is the data it needs. Um, it's a great pattern. It's great for encapsulation, and it's great for uh, accidentally having shareable pieces of your app that other people can use, they just sort of fall out. So when you're doing that, are you trying to like do things like uh, keep keep services out of out of components so that you don't have any external dependencies? Um, so it's something on the outside's responsibility to pass exactly what that thing needs into it? Yeah, we, we do use services. Um, and I think that there are some things that, that controllers do, things that, you know, where you do need to hold a little bit of state. Services make a lot more sense there. Um, but we're definitely more conscious these days about entangling um, things that have a short life cycle with things that have a long life cycle. Right. That's where you run into trouble. Uh, switching gears just a little bit. So you have a tremendous number of apps, 15 apps, uh, and I'm assuming they range in complexity, but I'm, I'm assuming they're pretty large. Uh, what does the deployment story look like for those kind of apps? Do you, do you kind of run the gambit? Or are you trying to standardize there as well? I know there's a lot of uh, effort towards Ember CLI deploy. Uh, are you guys kind of going that route or? So um, th this is another area where we kind of, we didn't have a good story and so everyone did their own thing. Um, we do have CD pipelines across the board. That's, that's currently mandatory at Yahoo. You have to have CD. Um, so, so that's good to have. That's a good starting point. Um, what I'm working on building um, for all of these 15 apps is, is something that's sort of the other half of Ember CLI deploy. Um, an asset serving layer that that uh, sort of has this multi-tenancy concept where you can have all of these different apps, different versions of the apps, um, GitHub hooks that will, you know, allow you to to view a pull request um, operating against a production API without, you know, having to deploy it. You can get, you know, your product owner to sign off, actually see how it's working uh, before you actually pull the trigger. So that that's... That's exciting. And that we're doing in open source. Um, that's a, a project called Banker. Um, 
and I would love for someone to suggest a better name, but, <laughs> but it handles all your assets, so banker. Uh, but building a, a sort of universally friendly uh, single-page app asset serving layer gives us the opportunity to really um, define what that story looks like, get everyone on the same page, eventually get our React and uh, Angular apps serving off the same thing, because you know we all have similar needs. Right, that's an awesome response to deployments. So, uh, you know, Ember apps, uh, you know, they uh, they do great job on the front end, but there's the back end story as well. And uh, and you know, typically I see with large large apps, it always ends up being a, kind of an API team, and there's a split. How do you kind of bridge that divide and and integrate with your back end services, both from a technical side and also from like a team perspective? Like, how do you communicate with uh, with various sections of your team? So I think that. Um... Whenever you're setting off on a big project, there's the, the fastest and um, easiest path to walk down is to just let everyone do what they're passionate about. And odds are, you know, for most people, it's one or the other, API or UI or build the web services. Um, and it kind of depends on what, what itch everyone wants to scratch. Um, we've, we've tried to make, uh, we've tried to encourage, you know, the formation of cross-functional teams because things, things end up you end up with a more cohesive result when you have the same person thinking through the whole problem end to end. You know, if you're handling the UI, you're not going to build the API in such a way that you need to make 40 requests in order to load a page. Um, and vice versa, if you're working on the API, you know, you're, you're going to be conscious of what data is expensive. You know, do I need to make six joins in order to get this piece of information that's not so critical so the <laughs> UI can consume it? So I'd love to see more of that, and I think it's a problem that um, a lot of large tech companies struggle with. But right now, it it's sort of um, we have teams that that are focused on areas of of the apps, um, but when you break it down to individual developers, they're still pretty focused. That's awesome. Very cool. So you already mentioned you had uh, recently hired a a bunch of Ember developers. Um, what kind of skills are you looking for uh, in your team? So what I love to see in um, JavaScript developers is experience with another language. So if you have experience working with a typed language, you're going to write your code in a certain way that's not, you know, that doesn't have a contract that's waffling between, you know, um, returning an int versus returning a string versus returning an object. If you have experience writing with a functional language like Haskell or F-sharp or Scala, um, you're going to probably be very well suited to writing, you know, performant front-end code as well. So that that's a big win to get that. Just it's it's really all about aptitude. I mean, this web UI is an area of computer science that reinvents itself every two years or so. So experience <laughs> is less of a factor, right? It doesn't. There's no one that's been doing this for um, for six or eight years because, frankly. If you've been doing it for that long, it looked completely different. You were you were probably working with Dojo or something, and or or Sprout Core before in the pre-Ember <laughs> days, and uh, what you knew does not apply. So, um, yeah, it's it's really about aptitude and about being able to think about things in in different ways. And often, another uh, programming language helps you know see multiple viewpoints. That's cool. Cool. How do you uh, how do you onboard and uh, and bring somebody up to speed when they're coming in from say another language? So you hire a Scala developer or a, or an F sharper, um, any of these other languages. If if that's their primary way of thinking, uh, 
how do you kind of get them ready for ember ember work i mean we i don't think we've ever hired someone that has like zero javascript experience. <laughs> you have to start there but but the way the way to start is you know i i'm a strong proponent of just throwing people in and giving them a bunch of small bugs and really not not putting any time constraints on everything let them find their way around you know eventually they start to get at home and you you kind of build from there um, it's also a great way for people to figure out you know what they're passionate about i mean there are developers who love working with d3 and man the world needs more of those the world <laughs> needs more people who are willing to learn how to do that properly so you know let them go in that direction and if there are people who are performance oriented throw them at staff and let them chew on and see a live bug all day <laughs> so um yeah I, I think i think sort of letting people find their way find what they're passionate about and um you know push them in that direction that's going to yield the best result so we always see you around the community i mean you're you're at tons of conferences you're you're all over the place and uh we, we saw that you have a you have a meetup uh called modern web ui right yeah so Tracy and I started Modern Web UI with the goal of cross-pollinating between the framework communities. Um, if you if you take a step back and you've been in the Ember world, it's tough to it's tough to have a uh, an open mind and a you know unbiased perspective towards what's going on with React, what's going on with Angular two, um, and this is natural, right? We all we invest a great deal of time in becoming experts with a particular thing, and then you know. The more you can align with that viewpoint, the more you can do well and the more valuable that skill set is. But if you take a step back and you, you start um, looking at what React does well and what Angular 2 is doing, you know, that's, that's an opportunity to look at, um, look at a group of really smart people who are making design decisions based on today's constraints. They're not starting from Sprout Core. They're not you know, trying to just build a view library. Um, this is a whole framework starting now you know it's really interesting to to see what they're doing and what lessons they've learned and um and maybe to take take some of that and make it part of ember or to open a pull request for angular 2 and help them you know use more of broccoli which they're using like crazy so um yeah it's, it's been really successful there and we've we've been fortunate to have i think we we haven't had an angular core team member we've had um, Jim Sprock from React Talk. We had, of course, Steph Talk from the Ember Core team. Uh, Jaffer Hussein from Netflix um, had a great talk at our last meetup about Falcor, which is turning REST APIs inside out completely <laughs> and um, just some amazing, amazing technology there. And it's just growing so much from, from uh, meetup to meetup. Um, it's, it's been a great, great thing to be a part of. That's cool. I, I also like the fact that you uh you, you guys um you put it all online. So I'm actually even though I'm on the East Coast, I can still kind of follow along. That's pretty great. Um I like that there are playlists and stuff too. I just pop it on, crank it up to one and a half speed and good to go. <laughs> uh so yeah, that's pretty great. Um so yeah, so so the idea here is cross pollination. Um kind of what do you think right now, just from your experience? Uh, what are the things that uh, that we can learn from these other communities? Uh, maybe just a few. Obviously, there's probably a lot um, of of ideas. Um, what are the what are the main things that you think we can pull in like right now? So uh, something something that React does well. I think I'll answer that plucking one idea from from these two major communities, uh, one idea each. 
Uh, React has done a great job at producing an island of excellence, right? They didn't, they didn't aim to solve the whole problem. They aimed to solve one thing, and that's syncing data with DOM. And man, they do a great job at that. And we've already borrowed the main idea, right? Having an idempotent rendering engine, and that's Glimmer. Right. Um, but, but I think that um, the learning curve is great there because it's so simple and the scope is so small. I'm not sure if that jives well with Ember because Ember is looking to do so much more than that. It's it's really trying to solve the the front end app architecture problem. Um, how do we how do we stay organized? How do we find encapsulation where we need it? So uh, what what the Angular two team has done well? They have um, made their technology available to a group that spans a whole bunch of different camps. There are some people who are writing Angular 1 with ES5 and some that use Angular 1 and ES6 and some people that are using ES6 with Angular 2 and some people use TypeScript and some people don't. And it's, um, I, I don't envy them at all for having to find solutions that work and keep everybody happy. But they've done it so far and they seem to continue to retain a, a huge, huge group of people. I mean, the following is just massive. Right. So um, there's something to be, to be learned there, too. Um, it sort of goes against the idea of an opinionated, you know, this is the way you build your app with Ember CLI. Um, but at the same time, you can't ignore the following of Angular. So what do you think that, uh, that other users looking at it, at the Ember community, what do you think they can take away from us? Right. So... I think um, you mean other developers who who are like new to JavaScript or but just just uh, an Angular developer or React developer who uh, who kind of gets to know a little bit of Ember. What what do you think they can take away? What's one of the first uh, the big wins they're going to have? So I think the the add-on ecosystem is a huge win. I don't think you see any of that in React um, or Angular yet, uh, and and that that can only be as good as it is because a few opinions are worth it. A f like taking on a few opinions and following the path that someone has laid out for you, um, sometimes there is there is more benefit there than one realizes at the start. And, um, you know, going with the flow can, can pay off. Um, that rubs some people the wrong way. And so th there's, a, there's an entire class of people that just will never, they'll never write, apps and rails they'll never use ember they want to do be involved in all the little nuts and bolts and you know more power to them that we need um, a variety of different viewpoints to make sure we're not all adopting a bad idea and <laughs> yeah it's right. like bad stuff everywhere so mike uh, you maintain uh ember cli materialize and now ember materialize light uh, could you explain these two things? Uh, originally, when I first started looking into them, they look like the same library, and obviously they're not the same <laughs> thing. Uh, could you explain a little bit about it? And I know there's two other libraries that you mentioned at the onset of our call. Uh, so you're, there's some consolidation efforts as well. So maybe just talk about Ember CLI Materialize. Right. So um, first I'm going to talk about Materialize and then uh, Material Design Lite. So Materialize is uh, it's a wildly successful project that a couple of Carnegie Mellon students that work for, or they go to school and are in the Human Computer Interaction Institute there, uh, they did this as a project, I guess, and it's, it's taken off. I mean, the GitHub repo has 
close to 10,000 stars, if not more. And uh, the idea was to, to, to make it so you didn't have to buy into Angular or buy into Polymer in order to have um, material design in your site. And it's a, it's a great project. It, it works surprisingly well for being um, just built on jQuery and trying to, trying to remain as simple as possible. Um, so, so I started to contribute to that project when a couple of our internal apps at Yahoo, you know, we needed something that wasn't bootstrappy and this seemed decent and I added a bunch of components and uh, eventually the, the original maintainer, um, Stefan Glasser, uh, decided to pass it off to me since I was um, sort of the more active person that was squashing the bugs and, and so on. So that, that's existed for a while, and um, I'm glad to see how popular it is, for sure. Uh, Material Design Lite, what, that came out, uh, I believe, only a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's a project that Google um, is behind, and it's a really well-written stab at taking, taking on the same problem, right? I don't want Polymer. I don't want Angular. I still want to use Material Design. And so they're using only vanilla JavaScript. There's no jQuery. Wow. It's it's super lightweight, and uh, it's it's targeted at static apps. So we have to jump through some hoops in order to make it work for a single page app of any kind. It's not not too bad, not not hacky by any means, but um, not incredibly straightforward either. Uh, so so they're both wrappers around other projects that exist. Um, the two other projects that that I don't maintain directly are. Um, Ember Material Design, which is a conversion of Angular's material design stuff, and then Ember Paper, which is a pure ground-up, let's build it the idiomatic Ember way approach to this. Um, I've been trying hard to get some some of some consolidation um, to happen here, but the problem is that three of them are does, are closely aligned with something else that already exists. And as soon as we start to kind of fuzz that concept and to, you know, take us off the materialized path and take us off the material design light path and start to converge, uh, we lose the identity of these projects a little bit. So um, I, I would like to see Ember Paper turn into a, a, something that is as full featured as these other three options. Um, and in the meantime, I think we kind of have to exist in our current state and people sort of make their own decisions. Very cool. Very cool. Definitely something I'm going to look into. I really like, uh, I, I like all of the components that come out of Ember CLI and materialize. It seems like nice and modular. Um, I, I have to mention this because he will get upset if I don't mention it. My pair is working <laughs> on Ember CLI and materialize and he wanted to say thank you for maintaining it. You're welcome. <laughs> So, Mike, it's a longstanding tradition for us to let the guests of our show uh, name the episode. Uh, do you have a name for us? Uh, sure. Let's name this episode Componentize All the Things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so good. Totally. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's been really good having you on. Thank you. So that's all for this Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. I'm Jonathan Jackson. Oh, I'm Mike Miller. <laughs> <laughs> See you next weekend.